Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I'm Chris Taylor, and I'm glad you're listening in today. If this is your first time listening, I'd love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. We're in a series we're calling How to Be Rich. Now, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. In fact, if you follow our advice, you may find yourself not actually being able to spend as much money. This series is a practical application of some biblical concepts that we think will make your life better. The normal way to live is to spend, repay debt, then pay taxes, save if there's any left, and then give if there's anything left after that. As Jesus followers, we try to flip that around. We give, then we save, and then we live on the rest. Today, we're particularly focusing on the principles behind saving. Here's our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Father, we acknowledge that we've come into your presence, and that's just surely by your grace and your invitation. And so we pray that today, what we say and what we do brings honor to your name. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. About a month ago, I got a card, looks like this, and put it in my wallet. You can't see, it's got kind of a blue thing across the top, a little red stripe on the bottom. Anyone guess what it is? Huh? Medicare. A lot of you are guessing Medicare. You know what that means? You're old. I know. I know. You're right. Okay? I'm 65. Don't feel it, but the card tells me that's what I am. Which means in a few years, I'll probably retire. Don't want to. Don't plan on it anytime soon. And some of you guys are thinking, darn but I suppose it's coming, and I'm curious. Will I be ready? I know we're going to make it. We'll be fine. But I'm curious, not scared, just curious. Julie and I got started late on our prep. I was in school till I was 30, dirt poor till I was 40. I think we were putting $25 a month into our retirement, and the college was matching it, so $50 a month doesn't take you very far into retirement, does it? After coming here to Cap City, we tried working a lot harder on it, and for the past decade or so, our finance teams here at Capital City have done their best to upgrade retirement plans for all of our staff, which is cool and God-honoring. How are you doing? If you are retired, are you doing okay financially? If you're nearing retirement, like me, you nervous? If you're in the middle of your career, are you working right now to prepare for retirement? And if you're just getting going, did you know that the prep work that you do right now will be exponentially more powerful than what you do later on? I actually came across an article on Friday when I was just working on the redraft of my sermon, and it's, it's titled, Americans Aren't Saving Nearly Enough. It's come from a journal called Reason.com. It says about 35% of us would be in financial trouble if we missed one paycheck or were hit with an unexpected $1,000 bill. It goes on to say that about one-third of us have less than $5,000 in private retirement savings. And then he says, he actually says, saving money for a rainy day is a personal and a social obligation. You buy that? I think I do. And I think I'd add it's a spiritual obligation, Christian obligation. 
In fact, I think your, your savings is a window into your spiritual health. I'm going to show you. Here's some of the facts. Well, according to one report I found dated May 15 of this year, 32% of us report having no savings at all. 26% of us report having savings less than $1,000, which means that 58% of us have less than $1,000 in savings, which means we are living paycheck to paycheck, right? According to a Bloomberg report in March of this year, for those of us who are 55 and older, and I'm just barely 55, I have heard, this argues with me, 48% of us have no 401k or individual retirement accounts. Some of us do have a pension plan, but about a third of us have neither. We just hope Social Security stays solvent, right? And that's getting kind of an interesting question because <laughs> we're living longer. Did you know that when Social Security started in 1935, the average lifespan was 61? 61. And of course, they set the retirement age at 65, right? You get it? They didn't expect all that many of us. Did you know that the average age today, uh, lifespan is nearly 79? We're living a whole lot longer than they expected us to. Probably than they wanted us to. We fooled them. So how are you doing? If you're retired now, how are you doing financially? If you're nearing retirement, are you nervous? If you're in the middle of your work life, are you planning ahead at all? If you're just getting started, are you doing any prep work yet? Because the sooner you start, the stronger you'll be. Did you know that? But... To me, this financial stuff is comparatively little. We're going to do fine. I mean, Julie and I are going to do fine. We have kids with good jobs. <laughs> and if we really believe that the most important key to managing God's money God's way is to learn to be content, which I do, we're going to be fine. But you know what grips me way more than how financially prosperous Julie and I might be for the next 20 years or so, if we make it that long? The day I die, I'm going to be standing before the God I serve. So will you. And he's going to be reviewing how I have managed the absolutely incredible gifts that he has lavished upon me. That's the day that matters to me. That's the day that will matter to you. See, when we think about our money and our future, we think too small, too short. Am I going to have enough to do what I want to do next week, next month, next year? Am I going to have enough to retire and live for 20 years or so? Those are questions that Jesus' followers should ask, but this is way bigger. Have I managed God's money responsibly so that when I stand in his presence, which I will? See, this life is just the beginning. But what we do in this life shapes our eternity. Guys, most of us in this room are Jesus followers. For those of you who are not, we really hope that you will join us. We think it's the best way to live, the way God designed us to live. But Jesus following changes how you do just about everything. And this morning I want to lay out as clearly as I can how it changes the way we manage our money especially with respect to the future, because this one is huge with God. You know why it is? Do you know how I know for sure? 
Jesus singled out money as his single greatest competitor for our hearts. And then he said, you just can't serve God in money. So how we manage our money is going to be a spotlight on where God stands with us and on where we stand with him. Now, there are essentially five things we can do with our money, right? You might come up with others, but they're probably going to just be a subset of one of these five. Five things we can do with our money. Number one, we can spend it. And most of us don't need a whole lot of help with that. We're quite good at it, right? Number two, we can repay debt, depending on how we have spent our money in the past or misspent our money in the past. Number three, we can pay taxes, which is annoying and necessary. We can save money. And some of you are thinking, really? And usually last and usually least, we can give money generously. And for most of us, that's the order. Priority number one is that we spend. We get what we need, we get what we want, right? Priority number two, we pay for the things that we bought in the past that we couldn't afford. Number three, we pay our taxes. That's really not accurate. Government takes our taxes. Doesn't give you an option on that one, right? Priority number four, if there's any leftover... Maybe we can save a little. That would be cool. And priority number five, if there's any leftover after the leftovers that I put into my savings, maybe I can give a little to the church or give a little to a charity or maybe give a little to somebody who's hurting that I can help. And that's pretty much what we do with our money. It's pretty much the order that the herd prioritizes their money with. Those are the priorities of normal. But if you're a Jesus follower, do you see a problem here? Come on, guys. Doesn't this kind of put God and others getting leftovers? If I haven't spent it all, if I don't owe it all, if the government doesn't take it all, if I don't save it for myself later, if there's any leftovers, I'll give God his part, right? And then we have the unmitigated gall to do stuff like this. This is amazing. After living self-centered, when we get into financial trouble and there's something we really want that we can't afford or real trouble, we go to God for help. God, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to make this house payment on this house that I bought that I couldn't afford. I need some help. God, I'm struggling. I could, I could use some help paying for these credit cards that are killing me. I need your help. God, I need some more college to put my kids, I mean, money to put my kids through college. I know that I've misused every other cent that you've given to me, but I need some more right now really bad. Listen, guys, why would God grant such requests when we have misspent so much of what he's already given us? Now, I don't really know what God is thinking when we pray such prayers, but it would seem to me that he could think something like this. You've got to be joking. Pretty much shut me out financially. Come to me when you need an emergency fund. When it comes time to give back what I've asked, when it comes time to be generous when I nudge, you scrounge around for leftovers. And now you have the temerity to ask for more. We're calling this little series, How to Be Rich. It's not about how to get rich, because we are rich. We're Americans, right? 
It's how to be rich in a way that's God-honoring. It is not a formula for financial health. It is a prescription for spiritual health because this stuff affects our spiritual health. It's about setting different priorities and backing them up with our money because we Jesus followers flip it around. Our priorities are virtually the opposite. We give first. We save next. The government always gets its part. It's going to take it. Then we repay debt until the debt is gone if possible, and then we live on the rest. Now, Andy Stanley, who's one of my heroes down in Atlanta, is an amazing preacher down there. He tries to simplify it even further. He simplifies how we manage money God's way to just these three things. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. Give first, save second, live on the rest. Right? In that order. When you get paid, you invest in God's kingdom. God gets the first part. And pay yourself second so you can prepare for the future that he's bringing your way. To create margin because we don't know what lies ahead. And then we live on the rest. We pay our taxes. We pay our debts. We spend the leftovers. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. Right? Give, save, live on the rest. And that is the key to managing our money as a Jesus follower. Way more than that, it's a key to tearing down the barrier that our idolatry of money builds between us and our God. I want to take just a couple of minutes to unpack each one of these three. First give, then save, then live. First give. And there's this one big idea, and this is kind of the biggest idea for a Jesus follower when it comes to managing your money God's way. If you get this, everything else will likely fall into place. If you don't get this, your life with God is going to be a struggle. Here it is. God owns it all. God owns it all. See, that's where we screw up. We think it's ours, when in reality, God owns it all. You see, if it's my stuff, I can do whatever I want with my stuff. If it's God's stuff, then I'm all obligated to handle all of it in a way that respects him. We get messed up here. When I've watched some of you guys, if I were God, I wouldn't trust you with any more of his stuff, because you think it's yours. I've watched me. If I were God, I wouldn't trust me with any more of his stuff because I treat it like it's mine, even though I know better. But you look at the scriptures. I mean, the scriptures are perfectly clear on this principle. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and what? Everything. Everything in it, which includes, I think, everything I think I own and everything you think you own, right? Right? God says the silver is mine, the gold is mine, which basically reminds us every credit card, debit card, all of your equity, all of your savings, your checking account, your stash, God says that's mine. It's mine. Do you buy that? Most of us don't. We think it's ours. God thinks it's his. One of us is wrong. Some of you guys push back. You're thinking, but I worked hard for it, right? I saved it. And here's what God answers. This is good. He says, he says, you may say to yourselves, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to do anything. Oh, yeah. I studied in school, and God says, yeah, but I gave you the brain, right? Yeah, I worked hard. Yeah, but I gave you your body, didn't I? And I put in long hours, scraped, saved, made smart investments. And God says, I made the earth. I made you. There is nothing that you have. There's nothing that you can do that is not my gift. Just a gift. 
about some humility and some gratitude. See, God never transfers title. He never relinquishes his ownership of anything to me or to you. He lets us use his stuff, but it's still his. When it comes to money, the question is not how much of my stuff am I going to give to God. The question is how much of God's stuff do I keep for my own use. You see, it's about ownership. God owns, we manage. God owns, we use. You buy that? You buy it seriously enough that you actually try to live that way. Now, here's the second big idea. First big idea is this. God owns it all. Here's the second biggest idea, right? God gets the first part back. God gets the first part back. Even though he manages, he lets us manage his stuff, he tells us he wants the first part back. It's our way of telling him that we know that it's all his anyway, and it's a way of our expressing gratitude, and it's a way of our getting to live outside of ourselves. We are Jesus followers. He gets the first part. Now, people in the Bible had kind of a weird word, at least to us, they all understood what it meant. They talked a lot about first fruits. First fruits, that's the Bible word for giving your first part, your best part, back to God. It's in the Bible a lot. I'm just going to show you a couple of the places. He says, bring the choice first produce, literally the first fruits of the year, to the house of your God. This is my favorite from Solomon, once considered the smartest guy in the world. He says, honor God with everything that you own. Give him the first and the best, the first fruits. See, it's all his. He gets the first part back. Part of it to the church, because that's how God designed his work to get done when we do this together. Some to sheer generosity, because we're going to learn that it's way more fun to give than it is to receive, and then we get to really start living outside of ourselves, and life becomes more wondrous. Give, save, live. Give, save, live on the rest. I want to talk about the save piece for just a couple of minutes. I'm going to show you two verses, and if you've never seen these verses before, they'll blow your mind. If you've seen them before, maybe they don't blow your mind anymore, but they should. First one's written by the Apostle Paul. It applies to us, and it ought to make you sit up a little bit. Here's what he says. Anyone who doesn't provide for their relatives, anyone who doesn't provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, that person has denied the faith, and he's worse than a pagan. That's amazing, isn't it? That means I have an obligation to put my family's needs above my wants. Would you agree with that? And apparently that includes my parents, my grandparents, my kids, grandkids. Maybe extends beyond those boundaries. I don't know. I mean, this second verse is also written by the Apostle Paul, and it's going to sound really hard until you think on it. Here's what he says. He says, when we were with you, he's talking to the Thessalonians, a church back then. He says, when we were with you, we gave you a rule. The one who's unwilling to work, don't feed him. Don't let him eat. Wow, that's hard. It means that we have no moral obligation to those who refuse to do anything for themselves. It also means that I have a moral obligation to do whatever I can so as not to be a burden to those around me unless I have no choice. I won't be the person who refuses to, refuses to carry his load and then expects others to keep on supporting me. Now, guys, there's a difference between can't and won't. 
We've got to honor it. Some people can't bear their burdens anymore. And when you can't bear a burden, your brothers and sisters are there to help you. We're supposed to. That's the way of the church. But as for those who simply won't bear their own burdens, we have no obligation as Jesus followers to help them. Now, if you lay those two verses side by side, you come to this. As Jesus followers, as Jesus followers, we must do whatever we can to care for ourselves and for those that God has entrusted to our care, our families especially, which is where this safe part comes in. Because this isn't just about now. This is about the future. King Solomon was once considered, like I said, the wisest man on earth. Here's how he put it. He says, the wise... Store up choice food and olive oil. They save. Fools gulp theirs down. I like the way it in this translation a little better. Wise people live in wealth and luxury, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they can get it. Hmm. I really don't care about wealth and luxury. I do care about pulling my weight as long as I can, taking care of my family as best as I can, and having extra, if I can, to give someone else a hand when I can. Right? So, let me ask you a couple of questions. These are not financial questions. These are spiritual questions. Ready? How does your checkbook look? It's a spiritual question. How's it going to look next week if you've got a, an emergency tomorrow? What's going to happen if God brings someone across your path that is in a real spot and he nudges you to lean in and help? You ever felt that nudge? I have. Will you have the capacity to honor that nudge? Or have you spent the money that God has given you to be generous with? What if a member of your family gets kicked in the teeth by life? That happens, guys. Happens a lot. You going to be able to help? What about retirement? Kind of sneaking up on some of us. Have you done your best to prepare for it responsibly so that you can take care of yourself and your own as a Jesus follower if possible? That's a spiritual question, guys. I know sometimes you can't. Through no fault of your own, we've got plenty of people in our church family you just can't. Maybe your health has failed. We have people in this church family, the life has just kicked them in the teeth. And when you can't, that's when Jesus followers rally around. But if your mess is just the result of your irresponsibilities, your problem is not just financial. Your problem is spiritual. So we give our first part back to God because it's his. And if we can, and we usually can, next we save something. We save for emergencies. We try to build up an emergency fund. Financial counselors will try to tell you to at least store up a thousand bucks set aside for emergencies. So they don't knock you all over. Then if you can, you work to a month's worth of expenses. And if you can, maybe four to six months even. Be amazing. We save for emergencies. We save so that we can pay cash for things instead of having to charge everything, right? Remember last week, the one who is the borrower is the servant of the lender. And we don't want to be a slave to anybody except Jesus. By the way, if you pay cash, you save boatloads of money on interest. And we save for retirement. Especially retirement. It's a moral obligation for Jesus followers to prepare responsibly, not ridiculously, but responsibly for that time. Give, save, live, right? Give, save, live on the rest. 
I'm not going to say a whole lot about this live on the rest part. A couple of reasons. First of all, because if you really do give, save, live, chances are living on the rest is going to be a whole lot easier for you because you're going to be getting your priorities right. And when your priorities are right, life starts making more sense. Give God his first part first because you know it's all his really. Save second because you have a responsibility as a Jesus follower to pull your own weight if you can and take care of your own if you can and be generous when you can. The other reason I don't need to say too much about this live on the rest part is we've been dealing with this for the last two weeks. Week one, when Randy was here, he talked about contentment, maybe the biggest thing that it requires to be a Jesus follower when it comes to money. Learn to love what you have rather than obsess over what you don't have. And last week, we talked about debt. By the way, if you want to go catch up, you can go to capcity.info. You can press on the watch and read tab, and if you can look down there, you can actually watch or read sermons that go back for several years, actually. One more caveat before I wrap this up. Guys, if you do it God's way, if you give first, save second, live off the rest, you will probably, this is not a guarantee, you will probably discover that your money will go farther than it is going right now. I know that sounds weird. But this room is full of people who can testify that they have less financial stress and more left over when they do it God's way. I don't know all the reasons that it works that way. I've got some guesses. Maybe because when we put God first, we're more careful with the rest. When we recognize it's all His, we're more careful with the rest. Maybe because when we put God first, we discover that money and stuff doesn't control us anymore. It doesn't control us like it used to. Maybe because when we put God first, we start making smarter decisions Maybe because when we put God first, we actually do learn to be content. Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe, and I don't want anybody to count on this. This is not a guarantee. Maybe sometimes God chooses to bless his kids when they give him first place in their lives, even financially. But guys, this is not intended to be a formula for financial success. It's supposed to be a prescription for spiritual health what the Bible teaches. It's the way God wants us to live. Can you imagine what it would be like if hundreds of people in this room, in our church family, tried living this stuff out? What a difference it would make. Give, save, live. Give, save, live on the rest. What would that do to your marriage, to the marriages of your neighbors here? What difference would it make in your home? What difference would it make to this church family? What difference would it make on the impact that this church family can have on our community and even beyond? What difference would it make in how you feel when you look yourself in the mirror in the morning? What difference will it make, guys, on that day when you stand before God and he reviews and you yearn to hear those words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, there's one more piece, guys. Next week, we're going to talk about the coup de grace of managing our money God's way. We're going to talk about generosity. 
Generosity, because we actually believe as Jesus followers that it is more blessed, more fun to give than to receive. Do you believe that? And next week, we're going to have the opportunity to do something that is nearly miraculous. We're going to partner with that amazing organization, RIP Medical Debt, to eliminate the qualified debt of people for pennies on the dollar. We're going to be able to influence. If we just hit our campaign goal, our minimal campaign goal, we're going to be able to eliminate qualified medical debt of nearly 1,300 people in Franklin County and nine other counties around us. If we exceed our goals, we're going to help more. What's cool about this is that never seen this before. What we give is going to multiply a hundredfold. One dollar becomes a hundred. hundred becomes ten thousand because they're able to acquire this medical debt at pennies on the dollar. Next week, we're going to try to show people in our community what grace looks like, what it feels like. Can you imagine the weight that's going to be lifted off the shoulders of 1,300 people when they get a letter stating that the medical debt they couldn't pay will be paid, has been settled? By the way, I haven't told you this, but we're actually partnering in this with Hillcrest Baptist Church across town. Tom Troth is one of my preaching partners. He comes and studies with Randy and me every week, and they've already done this campaign, and they're going to be a part with this. Now, I've asked Kim, and I've asked Monica. Monica is my daughter-in-law. Kim is a long, long time friend. They have been excited about what we're going to be able to do with this campaign, and I've asked them just to share just a few words about what it means. Go ahead, Tom. Hey, guys. Is anybody else really excited about this, or is it just the two of us? Yeah. We're really pumped up about it. In fact, um, I saw in the news where Randy's church had done this, and I immediately posted it to, I think, our church's Facebook uh, because I was so excited. I want to know how I could get involved, how we could do this, and little did I know we were going to. Um, And so, basically, we're just here to tell you about our excitement and share a little bit of that with you. Uh, The cool thing about this is that it's not a dollar for dollar like most things that we give to and most ways that we uh, spend our money. The cool thing about RIP medical debt is that it's $1 equals 100. It's multiplied. And I was at Qdoba last week, of all places, one of my favorites, and there was a gentleman in front of me who I heard him drop his change. And I said, excuse me, sir, you've dropped your change. And we both looked down, and as he looked down, he realized it was a penny. And he told me, oh, no, that's not mine. And it was at that moment that I saw that penny transform into a dollar. And it was just such a visual thing for me. So I immediately went back to work. We worked together. And I told Kimberly about it. And she got just as excited. Because we realized that it's not every dollar that matters. It's not every hundred or every thousand. It's every little bit that you can give is really, really going to make an impact. And so I just challenge you guys to think about ways that you might be able to give pennies or dollars. For me, I'm going to give up piano lessons for two weeks. That's $40, and it may not seem like a lot, but that would pay off Red's entire bill. You saw that was $3,900. My $40 is going to make $4,000, and that's on top of what my husband and I have already decided to pledge. We're just trying to find ways Uh, to really make a difference. Maybe for you it's your Starbucks every week or maybe it's your round of golf. Whatever that may be, I just challenge you to think of ways that you can find pennies or dollars and how we can stretch those uh, pennies and dollars to go further for other people. Um, And here's Kimberly. So like she said, I got very excited about this as we were talking about it. 
And my excitement spilled out so much that I got up from my chair in my office and marched down the hallway to my husband's office, because he's just down the hallway from me. So Melvin heard my excitement something like this. Don't you throw away another pity. I know you hate them, but don't you throw them away. We're cleaning out your car. We're cleaning out your office. Every penny counts because it's a dollar, at which he's now going, hey, wait a minute. I don't, I don't throw them away. You know, occasionally they get sucked up in a, in a vacuum cleaner, but I don't throw away pennies. I'm like, not another penny. It's a dollar. And he says, Kimberly, man, you can't be this girl. <laughs> You're scaring people. you got to pull back. And he's right because I did get a little excited, and I didn't realize that I was talking to him like this in front of other people. And so I, he's right. I had to pull it back. So now I silently judge him when he buys his $5 much bill because it's $500. What are you doing spending that? But no, really, this is super exciting. And Melvin and I are both on board with uh, uh, this particular uh, challenge because it means something very personal to us. And it was this morning as I was thinking about it that I, I just had this thought, you know, I think through this RIP challenge, we're getting an opportunity to see how God actually works. That he takes whatever it is we give and multiplies it all the time. And we just don't always get to see that. And so he's giving us a visual reputation with this. And so whatever it is we can give, however we can give it, you need to trust that God is multiplying it over and over again. And my hope is that while we're a pretty good giving church to begin with, we already do pretty good at things like the baby bottle blessings and the food pantry and all that stuff. But my hope is, is that we catch this vision that God multiplies, and this is a catalyst for us to give even more than we've ever given before. They are kind of scary, that's why, I, that's why I let them talk, because I was afraid not to. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Next week, unless you stipulate otherwise, and you have the freedom to do so. If you don't want your money going this, you want it going to something else, just stipulate it. Just tell us what you want it to, done. But if you don't stipulate... Otherwise, every dollar that comes in next week in our regular offering in our generous bucket, we're going to put toward this RIP medical debt. And uh, we hope to be able to raise enough that we're going to be able to pay off the qualified medical debt in 10 counties, Franklin County and around us. And if we go more than that, we'll pay off more. It'd be really cool. You know why we can do this? This family has been faithful in their giving. They've been generous in their giving the past couple of years. We're now here at the end of August, and we're ahead on our budget giving to the degree that we can actually say next week everything that comes in, we're just going to be generous with. We're going to try to be gracious with. That is so daggone cool that we can do that. If you want to take an offering, there's some offer. I mean, uh, one of those envelopes, there's an envelope in front of you somewhere that's got a little map of Kentucky on it. We're going to use that next week. And uh, just if you want to use that as a reminder to think about it, take it home with you. We'll have them here next week as well. And we're going to ask you to also to write a little prayer on the back for those people that you're going to try to be helping. And so that's, going to, that's what we're going to do next week. I, we're going to sing one more song here, and I know there's some people here that uh, maybe, maybe you just need to be prayed for. May, you know, we've got an elder. He's been sitting in that prayer room in the back this whole service praying for you guys. And if you need someone to pray with you or pray for you, go on. I think Bobby Scott's back there, and he'd be glad to pray with you right now. If, uh, if you want to make a decision for Christ, we'd love to have you. If you want to make a decision to make Capital City your home, I'm going to be sitting right down there.
And during this next song, just come on down and uh, let's talk and let's go ahead and get it done. Let's pray together. Father, for your grace, we give you thanks. For our ability to extend that grace, we give you thanks. And we pray that this church will be a blessing to thousands. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.